MSW Media. Thanks to Fight Camp for supporting the Daily Beans. Fight Camp brings thousands of the best workouts in the world to your home and makes it fun with live punch stats to motivate you and push you to help map out your progress. Join the biggest boxing community in the world without leaving your home with Fight Camp. You can get started with Fight Camp for as low as $9 a month by going to fightcamp.com slash beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, October 10th, 2022. Today, Trump seeks to withhold two folders from the Department of Justice. Donald tried to trade crossfire hurricane documents for the ones he stole. The Fulton County DA is seeking testimony from Mike Flynn and Newt Gingrich. An associate of the fake Rothschild that infiltrated Mar-a-Lago has been shot in Canada after cooperating with the FBI. And Durham's last stand appears to be going nowhere. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everybody. It's AG. I'm on the road. So if it's a little echoey in here or you hear some sort of maybe ambulance or cop cars drive by, that is why I'm in a hotel room. So thank you for bearing with me. Dana will be back tomorrow, but I have a big show for you today, including a nearly hour-long interview with the host of the Mea Culpa podcast and author of the new book that drops tomorrow. It's called Revenge, and he's the founder of Essential Consulting himself, Mr. Michael Cohen. And I want to thank the patrons who braved the wilds of downtown Cleveland just as the Guardians were hitting their walk-off home run to win the wildcard round against the Rays. It was so much fun. So awesome to hang out with all of you. Thank you for showing up. and Thanks for being patrons. All right, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up, late last year, as the National Archives ratcheted up the pressure on Donald to return those boxes of records he stole from the White House, he came up with an idea to resolve the looming showdown. It was a quid pro quo. Mr. Trump, still determined to show he had been wronged by the FBI investigation into his 2016 campaign's ties to Russia, was angry with the National Archives for its unwillingness to hand over a batch of sensitive documents that he thought proved his claims. In exchange for those documents, Trump told advisors, he would return to the National Archives the boxes and material he'd taken to Mar-a-Lago. Trump's aides never pursued the idea, but the episode is one in a series that demonstrates how Donald spent a year and a half deflecting, delaying, stonewalling, and sometimes leading aides to dissemble when it came to demands from the National Archives and ultimately the Justice Department to return the material he stole. And that's according to interviews and documents. Around November of last year, Trump lawyer Cannon, who told others he was worried that some of the materials that were taken were documents being sought in the January 6th inquiry. That's around the time Donald floated the idea of returning the boxes of documents in exchange for Russia probe documents. Trump advisors never acted on that absolutely ridiculous notion. And fast forward to now, where we are with the special master reviewing non-classified documents, Donald Trump is seeking to withhold from the Justice Department two folders marked as containing correspondence with the National Archives and signing sheets that the FBI seized from Mar-a-Lago. That's according to court filings in the special master review of the confiscated documents. And this story is coming from Hugo Lowell at The Guardian. He says, quote, the former U.S. president's privilege assertion over the folders, which appear to have direct relevance to the criminal investigation into whether he retained national defense information and obstructed justice, are significant 
as they represent an effort to exclude the items from the inquiry and keep them confidential. Most notably, Trump asserted privilege over the contents of one red folder marked as containing, quote, NARA letters and other copies, unquote, and a second manila folder marked as containing NARA letters, one top sheet plus three signing sheets. And that's according to a review of the court filings. The former president also asserted privilege over those 35 pages of documents titled The President's Calls that included the presidential seal in the upper left corner and contained handwritten names, numbers, notes about messages, and four blank pages of miscellaneous notes. The documents the former president is attempting to withhold from the criminal investigation by asserting some sort of privilege, and by the way, it wasn't clear whether he was asserting executive or attorney-client privilege over them, it, well, that became clear after a Friday ruling by the special master who decided that he didn't assert any privilege and there wasn't any. In a three-page order, Raymond Deary, the special master, he made public the unique identifier numbers for documents for which Trump is not claiming privilege. It's also of note that the Department of Justice returning the three documents, they are returning the three documents that Cannon based her entire need for a special master on because there was a, a medical record in there, which, by the way, was the letter from a, the doctor in Brooklyn that he made public about his greatest health ever, the one that said he will be the healthiest president ever elected. And he made that public. That was one of the documents. The other were a couple of tax letters, I believe. And so those are the documents that Judge Cannon was like, look, if they're going to take those, then we can't trust anything. All of the documents the DOJ took are subject to inquiry. And that's why we need a special master. But now those are being returned. The DOJ wanted to return them a while ago before this whole fiasco started. But they're going to be returning them today, October 10th, to Trump. And their appeal to the 11th Circuit isn't due until the 14th, in which I'm almost certain they'll mention that these documents, which Donald used to claim harm in his motion for a special master, now makes the special master moot. There's no more harm out there. You've got your three private documents back, which you actually, you know, made public at least one of them. Though I imagine the crux of the argument that they will make to the 11th Circuit will be that Judge Cannon had no equitable jurisdiction in the first place. And the Georgia prosecutor investigating whether Donald improperly interfered in the 2020 presidential election filed court papers Friday to obtain testimony from Mike Flynn, former National Security Advisor, and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. This is Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. She also requested testimony from other potential witnesses, including Eric Hirschman. The request to compel testimony, these were filed on a day that marked the beginning of the quiet period for Georgia investigating because of uh, that's when October 7th, I believe, is when early voting starts in Georgia. And Willis asked that Flynn, Gingrich and others testify in middle to late November a sign that the inquiry will be in high gear after the elections. The Atlanta grand jury investigating the alleged 2020 presidential election interference has already heard testimony from several Trump lawyers, including Rudy Eastman and Boris Epstein. And in other news, Herschel Walker is a mess. And Kanye has apparently declared war on the Jews in a tweet that has since been removed from the platform for obvious anti-Semitic terms of service violations. Absolutely, totally disgusting what he tweeted out. And just before then, the official GOP account had tweeted out, oh, what was it, Kanye, Elon, 
and Trump. So anyway, the GOP has now, of course, not, you know, stepped away from that and condemned that anti-Semitic language or what Herschel Walker is doing. They're digging their heels in. They're doubling down on them, supporting both of them. That's just who they are. And this is just an incredible story. A close associate of the woman who posed as a member of the famous banking family Rothschilds and spent days at the former guy's Mar-a-Lago home, an associate of hers was shot Friday in a brazen attack in Montreal, Canada. Uh, Quebec provincial police have launched a, a search for the shooter and other accomplices behind the midday attack on Valery Tarasenko, who is 44. And this is in the upscale community of Esterel, according to La Presse. Police say he suffered significant injuries, but is expected to survive. Now, Tarasenko is a former business partner of Inna Yashishin. That is the Russian-speaking Ukrainian immigrant who gained recent notoriety, as I said, after an investigation by the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project in August, revealing that she masqueraded as a member of the Rothschilds and went to Mar-a-Lago, where she made inroads with the former president's very inner circle. In the months before this shooting, Mr. Tarasenko met with the FBI and turned over a whole bunch of documents and photos tied to an investigation into Ms. Yashishin. Now, her trips to the former president's estate and the businesses she formed, two of them with Mr. Tarasenko, over the past seven years, that's a huge investigation that's ongoing. And the person who was helping the FBI with the investigation into the fake Rothschild lady who infiltrated Mar-a-Lago has been shot. He's expected to survive, though. The shooting is expected to widen the ongoing FBI investigation. That includes several interviews with witnesses about a highly suspicious Miami charity called United Hearts of Mercy, which was run by both partners. And Yasheshin drove in and out of Mar-a-Lago without being ID'd at least five times in May of 2020 alone alone. And that was while stolen classified documents were being improperly stored there. And lastly, John Durham, Johnny, Johnny Durham, the Trump era special counsel, set off political reverberations last year when he unveiled a lengthy indictment of a guy named Denchenko, an analyst he accused of lying to the FBI about sources for the Steele dossier. But the trial, which opens tomorrow with jury selection, now appears likely to be much shorter and less politically salient than the sprawling narrative in his indictment. In an 18-page order last week, the judge overseeing the case, Anthony Trenga of the Eastern District of Virginia, excluded from the trial large swaths of information that Durham had wanted to showcase, including material that undercuts the credibility of the dossier's notorious rumor that Russia had a P-tape on Trump. Certain facts Durham dug up related to that rumor, quote, do not qualify as direct evidence as they are not inextricably intertwined or necessary to provide context to the relevant charge, unquote. Just like all the irrelevant bullshit political conspiracies he tried to introduce in the Sussman trial, which he lost, these bits of argument are also irrelevant to the Denchenko charge, and they won't be allowed in court. Judge Trenga, who's a Bush appointee, a GW Bush appointee, almost always sided with Denchenko's defense lawyers. Now, Durham, they said, had tried to inject irrelevant issues into the trial in an unnecessary and impermissible attempt to make this case about more than it is. And much like the Sussman trial, I'll be surprised if Durham wins this. I don't know that he'll get a conviction. I think he has a little better chance of getting a conviction here than in the Sussman trial. 
because that was just completely immaterial. And there was only other one other witness to to Sussman's false statement. That was Jim Baker. And he had different testimony for three different investigators. So this one's a little more solid, but still pretty, still pretty shaky. All right, everybody stick around after the break. I will speak with the host of the Mea Culpa podcast, author of the new book out tomorrow called Revenge, the one and only Michael Cohen. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about my new favorite way to get in shape. I use Fight Camp. Getting stronger is hard work, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have to be fun. And Fight Camp blurs the line between fitness and fun. Now, Fight Camp brings the best workouts in the world into your home, and they make it awesome. Explore thousands of workouts led by expert trainers that meet you on your time. That's the best part. You get live punch stats, which motivate you to push harder and help you to map out your progress. Knock out achievements or go head-to-head against other rivals from across the country or across the living room. You can learn the basics, sharpen your skills over time through tailored paths. It's fun for kids. Fight camp workouts are led by trainers with over 90 years of combined training experience. They'll break down every punch and your form and ensure you use it properly so you can learn to box safely. Not only do these workouts maximize efficiency with high-intensity interval training, but they're also a really good time. Before long, you'll forget you're even working out. It's a great way to relieve stress. They have thousands of classes with new workouts added each week. You'll always find something new. I've been using Fight Camp now for a few months. Uh, I can already tell the difference in my strength and my energy levels and my stamina. It's such a great workout. It's so much fun. You have to try it. Join the biggest boxing community in the world without leaving your home with Fight Camp. You can get started with Fight Camp for as low as $9 a month by going to fightcamp.com slash beans. Again, that's fightcamp, F-I-G-H-T-C-A-M-P dot com slash beans to learn more. And everyone you know I've had my sleep problems, but they were all solved when I got my Helix Sleep Mattress. I cannot sing the praises of this bed enough. It is the best by far I've ever had in my whole life. And that's because they customize the mattress to match the way you sleep. They have a fantastic lineup at Helix Sleep. They have 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models. They have a mattress for big and tall sleepers. They even have a mattress made just for kids. And you can find out which one is perfect by going to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and taking their online two-minute sleep quiz. They'll ship it right to your door free of charge. You get 100 sleeps to try it out risk-free. And if you decide it's not the best fit, you can return it for a full refund. Now, every Helix mattress has a hybrid design. They combine individually wrapped steel coils in the base and premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. And Helix mattresses are American-made. And they come with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. Uh, As you know, I took the Helix Sleep Quiz, and I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper, and I like a medium-firm bed. It is the best I've ever had. This mattress is incredible. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's Helix Sleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash daily beans. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. I am joined today by the host of the Mea Culpa podcast. He wrote Disloyal in 2020 and has a new book coming out, Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics. Please welcome Michael Cohen. Michael, hi. How are you, Allison? I'm doing great today. I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit about this book and about some other things that have been going on with you recently. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot going on. Just a couple of things, right? And, uh, you know, I recently had your attorney, Andy Laufer, on the show when he dropped, well, not dropped, but when he, you know, filed your lawsuit 
you know, violating your First Amendment rights against the Department of Justice who yanked you back into prison because you were going to put a book out. And that was the the disloyal book, right? That's correct. It was actually the um, it was the impetus for ultimately revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics, because there's so much more going on here that needs to be addressed. This is so much more than just Michael Cohen. This is really American democracy. It's our freedom. People forget the fact that democracy is an experiment, right? I mean, think about how many other countries have a form, whether it's a socialism uh, or obviously autocracies, you have monarchies. Uh, So it is truly an experiment. And one thing that You know, my father always used to say, and I parrot him on it, which is, if you have a strong America, you have a strong world. If you have a weak America, you have a weak world. And what Donald Trump has done by weaponizing the Justice Department and using the Department of Justice as his as his bully, as his law firm uh, against critics, not just myself, but other people as well. If that doesn't come to an end, then our democracy will. Yeah, it totally undermines democracy when we fuck with the rule of law like that. And I know and my dad used to say this, too. My dad, you know, uh, was uh, translating Russian messages back during Vietnam. And, you know, he, he was said, look, if we can't preserve democracy at home, how can we possibly be expected to be a voice of democracy abroad in the world? Just like your dad said. And, you know, I think that we see so much of the weaponization of the Department of Justice under the Trump administration, and even kind of that has seeped into what it looks like today and how how impossible that is to clean up. Because once you drain that reservoir of trust, it's nearly impossible to fill back up or it's it's very slow to fill, as Joyce Vance has said. You know, I'm thinking specifically about, and I know that this isn't Department of Justice related, but it is justice related. I'm still blown away and upset by this sweetheart deal given to Alan Weisselberg. I can't understand it. I mean, there are people who are saying, oh, it's going to help do this and it's going to help do that, you know, in the in the Tish James case, uh, et cetera. But I still I still just can't get past it. I don't understand it at all. Well, unfortunately, that's the way the system works. The system is not just the system is not fair. Uh, The fact that Alan Weisselberg lied to the Southern District of New York, something I talk about in the book, they lied to the Southern District of New York, also known as the Sovereign District of New York, because they play by rules that are only mirrored by the movie The Untouchables, that they behave above the law themselves, that they then accepted the lie. They used that lie to go against me and to get indictments through the grand jury process, and yet they gave him immunity. Now, we're into a different case. We're into the district attorney's case. And he's looking at anywhere from the five months that he pled guilty to, subject to his involvement, participation, and truthful responses in the upcoming case that's occurring uh, at the end of this month in October, that's the district attorney's claim against the Trump organization. Now, so many people talk about Alan Weisselberg's vehement assertion that he will not testify against Donald Trump. I call bullshit on that. First of all, the guy doesn't want to go to prison for 15 years, which is what the max would be looking at. He's 75 years old. 
He certainly has no interest in going to prison. So when they asked him questions about the Trump organization, the simple question that they need to ask, who told you to do this? Who signed off on that? Why did you do what you did? And the answer has to unanimously be and consistently be, I was directed to do this by Donald J. Trump because nothing happened at the Trump organization without Donald's express, not just intent, but his sign-offs on each and every one of the actions that were taken by Weisselberg. Weisselberg didn't have autonomy. He was an employee like everybody else. Was he at the top of the food chain? Sure, as was I. But he saw what happened to me. Donald will blame it on him. They will blame it on Mazers, the accounting firm. They will blame it on Jeff McConney. They blamed it on Michael Cohen. He'll blame it on his own kids before he accepts responsibility, especially responsibility that will place him in incarceration. Do you think his kids will turn on him? I mean, you know, they got a lot of life left. So I've often said this, that this is going to be a fight. It's going to be who's turning on who first. Now, I've also said, and I do still truly believe it, it's my opinion, that the inside mole is Jared Kushner. I mean, Jared, who was the secretary of everything, everything, seems to be the one that's in the least amount of trouble. We're seeing now Don Jr. and Eric that a part of the Attorney General Tish James's case that was recently filed. But you don't see anything about Jared. And yet, scratch your fucking head and ask how and why. How is it that Jared now picks up over $2 billion from the Saudis and there's no, there's no real serious discussion about it? Yeah, there's a couple of left-wing you know, periodicals that write about it, but how is he not being investigated? Who in their right mind, Saudi, Qatari, Amirati, it makes no difference. Nobody would give Jared Kushner a fucking penny because he could be potentially one of the worst businessmen in the history of New York. And all you have to do, now people may say, oh, Michael, you're just being mean because you don't like them. No, no, no. Here's the fact. 666 Fifth Avenue was the worst real estate deal in the history of New York City. And who is it that effectuated that marvelous deal? Jared Kushner. Yeah, and the Cutteries bailed him out, too. That's right? They sure did. And Saudi the finance committee that runs the Saudi Investment Authority were emphatic in saying, this guy doesn't meet any of our qualifications to run any of our money. Yet somehow, right, and I'll let you come up with your own conclusion, Mohammed bin Salman, the guy who chopped up Jamal Khashoggi, the guy who, you know, incarcerated uh, or detained his own relatives to extort them out of money. And that intel was given to him by Jared Kushner, by the way. Yes. Yeah. And when right after that Jamal killing, the first and only person he wanted to speak to, the only one, was Jared Kushner. And we also know about these, these um, flights to, uh, to Saudi Arabia, to Riyadh, unannounced, uh, or I shouldn't say wasn't uh, registered with the office there at the White House. He just went. Nobody knows what they talked about. They went off to some property that he has outside of. I mean, the whole thing is so it's so fugazi that 
it just has to boggle your mind. And that's why I believe that it will be Jared uh, who will ultimately will find out is the is the mole, is the leak, whether it's the Mar-a-Lerdo documents or what have you. But that's who I believe. But I believe Don would turn on Ivanka. Ivanka would turn on Don. They'd all turn on Eric, right? And who would turn on all the kids? Their own father. This is going to be a fistfight to see who's turning on who first. Yeah, well, you know, he who cooperates early gets the best deal, usually. And not with me, but not yes, with usually. you. Yeah, <laughs> I just, you know, as, as I as the words were leaving my mouth, I realized who <laughs> I was speaking to. Well, appreciate that. And, and, you know, and then we have got Jeffrey Berman's book coming out now. And I'm getting a little tired, by the way, of people holding on to information to sell to sell, you know, books like that. We're in the government that had a, you know, an opportunity to publicly resign or talk about. I mean, yes, he resisted leaving and said Audrey Strauss would have to take my place. And that whole thing went down. They did it, by the way. Trump did that in D.C. as well with Jesse Liu, you know, offering her a job at the Department of Justice, just like they offered Berman a job at the Department of Justice. And as she was, you know, moving her things over to the to the I think it was actually the Treasury Department that he withdrew his his nomination of her and then shoved somebody right into uh, D.C. to to bring that U.S. attorney's office to heel. But, we, you know, we find out they want to take the, the moniker individual one out of your indictment and just not talk about him anymore. Is that case gone? Is that case dead? Have you been asked to testify or give any testimony in any of these cases? No, that case is over and done with. I believe even the statute of limitations may have run, you know, on that one. It's a crying shame. Jeffrey Berman held on to documents, uh, held on to information, which I would consider to be like Brady material because it proves, look, I think he's a piece of shit. Uh, I have no respect for him. In fact, I believe that his actions are one of two things. It's either unethical and he should lose his law license or illegal. He should lose his freedom. I believe that Jeffrey Berman, despite all of this, his book, Holding the Line, right? What line did he hold? First of all, I'm going to digress for a second. He claims that he held the line. They redacted. 20 pages from the from the ultimate determination, scrubbing much of Trump's name and the references to individual number one. So how did he hold the line? Right. Either you hold the line or you don't. If you hold in the line, you come forward and you say that the Trump administration via Bill Barr and his people, that they were exerting pressure on the Southern District of New York to change charges, to do other things to whitewash the record of Trump's name instead of coming forward where I would have been able to use that information because what you'll find in revenge, the charges that were levied against me, all but the non-disclosure agreement with only Stormy Daniels are all lies. And that the story you think you know because you heard it over and over and over again and it was played out in the in the television, on in newspapers, magazines, all about me. It's just not true, right? The tax evasion. There's no tax evasion. And the funny thing is, I get a lot of criticism when I say that. I get it on my Twitter, my TikToks, or whatever, my Instagram. And I implore people: read and learn before you open your mouth. Everybody's entitled to opinion, but the opinion should be factual. I have been saying the exact same thing 
since day number one, even since I pled guilty. And the reason I talk about it in the book that I pled guilty is because the Southern District of New York put a gun to my wife's head. And they said, Michael, on a Friday night at 5.30 p.m., the first time ever hearing from Robert Kazami, who took over for Berman at that time, because there was some conflict. And I believe the conflict is because David Pecker and Jeffrey Berman's brother, Michael Berman, were partners in a magazine called George. So obviously that would be a conflict. So Kazami tells my lawyer on a Friday at 5.30 p.m., your client has until Monday to come in and plead guilty of filing an 80-page indictment against him that's going to include his wife, and that we're going to perp walk him and his wife out of their apartment, and we're going to process them both and indict them both. Now, many people can turn around. You could try to be brazen and, and bold and say, well, I still wouldn't have done it. Put yourself into my situation. I love my wife. I love my family. There was no way. I was going to allow them to put her and my family through this type of torture. I just wasn't going to allow it. And I know people, unfortunately, who were at Otisville with me, who unfortunately didn't do what I did, didn't succumb to the pressure, which should be illegal in and of itself. And their wives ended up at Danbury. So I've been saying this, and it's even in my in the sentencing memo that we put forth to Judge William H. Pauley III who I believe and I write about, I believe he's as corrupt as the prosecutors in this entire process. Yeah, and I'm also wondering if the, the investigation into Pecker and AMI was, you know, kicked to the side or brushed under the rug. Uh, I mean, I had that guy whoa, in my fantasy so indictment for I'm, a whoa, long time. Whoa, Allison, not only was it kicked to the side and swept under the rug, they took his testimony against me and they gave him limited immunity. And even after they found that that he lied to them, which should have expunged the immunity. He violated that immunity. I remember it well. Yes. He was given a limited immunity, use immunity, and he violated it. And he, I think he blackmailed somebody after that. And you're not supposed to be allowed to commit any crime within a certain amount of years after you get a, a, a use immunity, you know, declaration like that. I, I don't understand, you know. Like I said, I was I was waiting for that guy to be indicted and it just never fucking happened. No, for any of them. But now we're beginning to see a little bit of a change. Thanks to Tish James. Thanks to the announcement of this. And again, I want to just remind your listeners that this is a civil matter. It's the district attorney's case that is criminal. However, the Tish James case and now the Alvin Bragg case that he inherited from Cyrus Vance Jr., our former DA, they worked in tandem. Every time that I met with the DA's office, the information was shared with the attorney general's office, or for the most part, there was a member of the AG's squad that was there with us as well. That was so actually they there. Okay. Tandem. Yes. And she thanked you. Tish James thanked you for your testimony, your congressional testimony. I believe it was questioning with AOC that started to brought all this to light during during your congressional testimony. And she thanked you for that. I thought that was. Uh, yeah, I, I took I took notice of that when she when she let's just say, let's just say it was rewarding. Yeah, let's just say it was rewarding. I felt somewhat vindicated in the fact that I have provided well in excess of 400 hours of testimony to seven congressional groups, two different law enforcement groups. You know, I invested a tremendous amount of time explaining to them not just the documents 
the thousand documents or so that I provided, but also documents that were in their possession, communications and conversations that they had with others in order to explain to them the functioning of the Trump organization. Because in all fairness, the Trump organization is a very small mom and pop style real estate firm. And other than myself, who else has come forward and provided any any information within which to hold any of them accountable? And the answer is no one. Well, crimi- I, I believe criminal accountability is important, but I really think that the, the Tish James civil suit can probably just do the most damage to the to the Trump organization, the Trump family, his wealth, his perceived wealth. I should put that in air quotes. And and I also wanted to kind of ask a little bit about there was a time I remember when the Southern District of New York was saying that you didn't give full cooperation. Do you remember that? What was that about? Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Were they asking you about like, you have to tell us everything you've ever done ever, or we're not calling this a cooperation deal? And that's sort of how that whole thing went down. I mean, I you know, you told the story about them, you know, threatening to indict your your wife for tax evasion in an 80 page indictment. If you didn't plead guilty, I mean, I guess that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. But I don't understand why they wouldn't accept your cooperation. Was it not full? No. So the answer is the lead prosecutor at the time was a guy named Tom McKay. And Tom McKay is a wannabe bully. And he feels he has the capabilities of doing so because he holds the badge. And he has the immunity, the prosecutorial immunity that goes along with the job. My comment to them when offered a 5K1, that's a cooperation agreement. I'm not interested in signing a cooperation agreement. I will provide you with any information that you want, with any responses that I know I will provide to you. And I did. In fact, the Mueller report two attorneys came to my sentencing hearing and read um, statements that everything I told them was not only truthful and accurate, but that it was vital to the finishing of the report itself, which is of national importance. Judge William H. Pauley sat there looking like he didn't give a shit because he didn't. They already knew what they were doing. The fix was in between the prosecutors, the Southern District of New York, to the judge, all the way to all the way to Washington, because this is what they needed in order to protect Trump. And it's sad because that's not the way the system is supposed to work. It's why people have no faith in our Department of Justice any longer. Now, what does Joe Biden do? He ends up placing into the office of the attorney general an attorney general who is diametrically opposite of Bill Barr. Bill Barr was Donald Trump's lapdog. He didn't care whether he violated the law or not. He felt he was the law. He can do whatever he wants. Then you have Merrick Garland, who's slow, slower than molasses through a strainer, right? And as they like to say, oh, he's methodical. He doesn't want the DOJ to be perceived as being impartial or biased or what? Bullshit. All right. That's not what we need as Democrats right now. We need someone who wants to fight in the same playground that the GOP, that Donald, that Bill Barr was fighting. We need to hold these people accountable. 
And I'm not talking about these low-level jerk-offs who stormed the fucking Capitol on January 6th. They're getting theirs. Don't get me wrong. And we have the trial going on right now. I'm talking about Mark Meadows. I'm talking about Jim Jordan. Matt Gates, the guy for over two years who is his own co-conspirator, showed checks for sex trafficking a minor across state lines. And now that, well, we're not sure whether or not that there's a claim that we could bring. I'm talking about, you know, I don't know if I trust that. I don't know if I trust that news. I, I think that might have come out from the from the Gates team, because that that author who wrote that story ended up in a Trump filing in the Mar-a-Lago case as citation for why we can't trust the leaky DOJ. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical about that news. You know but, what? but yeah, I mean, we, because we have the primary in August and because we have this thing and they have the 60 day thing about no overt actions before elections. But, you know, we're in elections all the time. It seems it's yeah, it, I, I understand it's frustrating. OK, so let me then. Let me adhere to your belief that this is not a legitimate story. How about the fact that it's still two years? You have the payment. You have the person the payment was made to. You have the young girl who testified. What more do you need? I mean, seriously, what more do you need? My case was started and ended in 48 hours over a weekend. And I would like your listeners to think for a second if they've ever been pulled over by a police officer or if they've ever had any interaction with law enforcement in any scenario, your head goes into a, a tailspin. You lose almost like sense of reality, like you got punched in the head or that you're in some sort of a daydream. And then the reality sets in and then you realize that if, in fact, I don't acquiesce to these lies, they're going to go after my wife. So what do you do? Well, as a husband, for now, my anniversary is this week. It'll be 28 years. I'm not putting my wife in jeopardy, not for anyone or anything. So going back to Tom McKay, it's a lie. Tom McKay lied, plain and simple. I, there was nothing that I didn't give him. If you read his own comment, well, we believe that there are things that he didn't tell us. And so a journalist asked him, well, can you tell us what are some of those things that you asked? And he, well, I don't remember. I don't recall. But, you know, um, there were things that, you know, he just didn't tell us. That's not a prosecutor or the way a prosecutor should behave. You know, Jed Rakoff is quoted in, um, in my book. Brian Karam, who did the interview with Judge Rakoff, turned around and he said, this is one of the biggest problems that we have is the fact that prosecutors and judges, they see each other, they work together all the time, and that these plea deals, that these strong arm tactics should not exist because the goal of a prosecutor is not to prosecute you or not to convict you is what I mean. Their job is to prosecute. Not to convict. They don't care anymore about prosecution. They only care about their conviction rate because the higher their conviction rate is, and each and every one will tell you the same thing. Oh, I have a 98% conviction rate. If you think you're going to be part of the 2%, you should fight it. But if you do try to fight it and you lose, you're not getting 36 months. You're getting seven years. Yeah. Yeah, we see it. I mean, we see it all the time, don't we? Yeah, we unfortunately we do. And that's really the purpose of revenge. It's not just about me. 
if they could do this to me, think about what they could do to you or anyone that falls within the crosshairs of Donald Trump or the next autocrat, you know, wannabe's desires. Every one of us will be in jeopardy. And I also want revenge to stand for the desperate need for change and serious, legitimate change in the way that our justice system doles out, you know, sentences and prosecution so that the mistakes that they keep making over and over again, the pain that I go through every single day, the pain my family is living with never happens to anyone ever again. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, whether you agree with the methods and the institutionalism of the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland, or you think it's slow or you think it should be different, regardless, when another autocrat gets in office, they aren't going to follow those rules. They just aren't going to. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, folks are worried about if Donald gets indicted, when he gets indicted. And, you know, the follow-up conversation always has to be like, well, we still need reform and we still need to vote because if another Trump gets in office, all these people will be pardoned anyway and all that work will be for nothing. They will just drain the entire reservoir of trust in the Department of Justice again and play by their own fucking rules. They, do, you, do you kind of get what I'm getting at? I mean, it's like it's always teetering on the edge of, of total loss of democracy and rule of law. Allison, not only do I get what you're saying, I fucking lived it. Mm-hmm. I lived it. You know what it's like to do 51 days in solitary confinement? For what? I lost my law license, my business, my family's happiness. I lost it all for what? Because the president got, well, the former president got his fucking pecker pulled by a porn star. And I did an NDA and paid her, right, not to talk about it before an election. Okay, I'm wrong. I own that. Did I pay Karen McDougal? No, that was David Pecker. You can look it up. Did I commit tax evasion? No, I did not. I've never not. And you explain that in the book, too. You explain that in the book. I I explain it and I go into serious detail and showing who did what in order to subvert that information. Why the judge ignored it? Because this was all coming from above. They needed to silence me as a critic. You know, had they done that, you know, my podcast, Mea Culpa would never be the, you know, the success that it is today. Like yours, we're top 50 podcasts. Why? And who are we in battle with for those top positions? The right-wing conservative. You know, when you start to look at who's up there, I mean, the fact that someone like Megyn Kelly, who is a lying, disgraceful, disgraceful human being, she's up there. How? Why? Because they listen. And it's so important that people tune into your podcast, to listen to my podcast, to read Revenge or Disloyal, so that it'll open up your eyes. Because for some reason, there is a swath of this country that is so enamored by Donald Trump's bullshit that they don't care about the truth. And that's what I keep doing. That's what you keep doing on our our mutual podcast. I keep trying to drill in the truth. Yes, Herschel Walker is a lying sack of shit. He never should be allowed to run. Yeah? His own kid, his fucking kid. You ask my kids about me. They love me. They say, my family remained intact, thank God, despite everything that this put them through, despite what I put them through by working for someone like Trump, even after they begged me to leave him 
And all these people, oh, you worked him because you wanted the money. I didn't need his money. And again, if you read that in my book, Disloyal, other than Trump, I was the richest guy in the office. I retired. Why I went back to work for him, I need my fucking head examined. But at the end of the day, you know, they always say, you know, God puts on the shoulders of man what he believes can be, you know, that he can handle. I'm not so sure I agree with that. I remember the pastor in Otisville, you know, repeatedly, you know, making that claim. But I tell you, if I didn't, I don't even know where I would be today. Would I still be entrenched into the cult of Trump? I know I wouldn't have mea culpa. I knew that disloyal wouldn't come out. I would never have stood before the tens of millions of people that watched me live, not just in this country, but worldwide, exposing Trump for who he is. And I take credit, some of it, and I take pride in the fact that he got his ass handed to him in the 2020 election, right? I just do. You know, there's there's an old quote, and it goes something like, you know, to exact revenge for yourself or your friends, and I consider my friends to be this country and democracy, is not only a right, it's an absolute duty. It's a a famous, you know, quote about revenge. And I feel that, I guess that's the path that, I need to be on for my own redemption, for my own participation in propping Trump up, pushing him to run. I never thought he was going to be the dirtbag that he turned out to be. He is by far now the worst version of himself that I ever saw during the time period, Mm. the decade plus that I worked for him. He is the worst version of himself. In fact, I don't even think that he realizes himself how far down the dumpster fire he's fallen. Yeah. And, you know, I feel I feel what you're saying, exacting revenge and, uh, you know, in the name of democracy, your friends, the country. You know, he he um, investigated my my Mueller podcast and had me removed from my 10 plus year job at the federal government at the Department of Veterans Affairs helping veterans. I'm a veteran. And um, what he didn't realize is by removing me from my job in the federal government, I was no longer bound by the Hatch Act. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to raise, we, you know, get together with other podcasts, raised about half a million dollars. So, you know, he, yeah, he fired me, but uh, we turned around and helped fire him. And I'll, I'll always take pride and look in at that. You, and look at you now. And look at you now. We're the top 50 podcasts. You know, there were millions and millions of podcasts in news. And yet somehow, Our voices are being heard. And I think the more that we do this, the more that we keep hammering down the truth just day in and day out, the more that the independents, the people that Trump referred to as the silent majority, that these individuals are beginning to see the light and without having to go through the pain that I went through of extricating yourself from the cult of Donald J. Trump. By the way, I was meaning to ask you a question. Okay. You know, when Omarosa was terminated, Lara Trump tried to buy her off. Hell, we'll pay you $15,000. This is a recording of it. Omarosa recorded it and gave it to the press. Hmm. They were offering her like $15,000 a month as a salary to go work at the RNC. And if you want to go in, you go in. You don't want to go in. You can work from home. You don't have to work. It It was hush money. Yeah, it was hush money. 
there's nothing else that it was, right? It's, it was a bribe by Laura Trump is the moron that delivered it. I was curious whether or not they did the same for you because your position, especially as it related to the VA, where a lot of stuff was going on. You know, I'm the one that brought David Shulkin to the table. He was a friend of mine for at least a decade before. And nobody wanted to take that position. He's a great guy. I had a really great interview with him about it as well. And he was drummed out. And they completely, Trump completely obliterated his whistleblower protection office at the VA and was using it to mm-hmm. find dissenters and, and remove them, like myself. Yeah, David Shulkin, I think, was the only person nominated for a cabinet position uh-huh. that ended up getting, you know, 100% thumbs up. Nobody else. And yet Trump continuously berated him, badgered him, wanted to do a whole series of things that he thought was improper, despite the fact he's the only one who had requisite knowledge on how to deal with the VA and how to make things better for these people who served our country, who are hurt, whether it's, you know, physically, mentally, these people need our help. And Trump, the guy who claims, oh, I love my veterans. He's the guy who was the worst for the veterans. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't get anything like that. I didn't get any hush money offers or uh, no, uh, I got what they did was they they used the old Mick Mulvaney trick. They came in right after mm-hmm. the the Mueller report dropped. And I did a 20 part series on the Mueller report, which was a counter narrative to what the bar bullshit was trying to spin. Barr and Trump were trying to spin. And so they flew some guys out here uh, to San Diego on your on your dime and did the Mick Mulvaney. They, they moved my job across country to like Falls Church or something. And if I didn't move, I would be, you know, fired. And that was a Mick Mulvaney thing. We found this new great trick on how to get rid of people in the government that disagree with us that are disloyal. We moved their jobs like they did with the USDA, moved them from the Beltway to Kansas City and like 90% of them quit. So they they Mulvaneyed me. And, uh, you know, then they started investigating and try to fire me for cause. But because I am an ethical, outstanding employee, they couldn't find anything to fire me for. So I think after about a year and a half, they eventually removed me for being medically unfit because I am a PTSD disabled veteran, uh, which kind of blows my mind considering 80% of the VA is employed by disabled veterans or veterans at least. So uh, anyway, it was a it was a whole thing. But no, I was never offered any hush. Yeah, and money. 80% of the country right now is dealing with PTSD based on the Trump, you know, the Trump bullshit, this Captain Chaos, what he does every single day. This is no joke. Yeah. Everybody's sitting there with this Trump derangement syndrome, you know, or Trump fatigue or whatever you want to call it. I mean, Mary Trump, you know, in her book, she actually nails that one, you know, spot on. You know, I mean, this guy is a cult leader. I've been saying it for a long time as well. And there is a certain sense of charm that he has. And whatever it might be, you know, people can say whatever they want about him. What he really is, is a master manipulator and especially of the press. That's that's what he is. And he has no shame. So it doesn't matter what he does. He has no sense of empathy. So he doesn't care who it hurts. Put all of this together, wrap all of this dog shit into one giant bag, and then sit it down in the Oval Office behind the Lincoln desk. And what do you got? You got the orange-crusted Mandarin Mussolini himself. I like that nickname. That's uh, one of the better ones I've heard. All right. I want to do something really cool because we didn't, you know, we didn't go into too many details of the book because we want everybody to read it. We want everybody to buy it. We want everyone to 
to read it for themselves. But you made an offer to me. You said I could pick one page and you would read a paragraph from it and we could we could talk about it. So there are what, about 320 pages in this book? Yep. All right, let's do page 167. Okay, 167 it is. And I'm doing this just randomly. I'm not like, I don't know what's on 167 off the top of my head, just so everybody knows. Actually, actually neither do I, but I will in a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad you actually picked this one because this is about the tax evasion case. And this is where I explained in great detail. Lanny Davis, who was my lawyer at the time, went on every television station after putting up diagrams and showing that there are multiple elements to a tax evasion case. And I did not fit into a single one of them. All right. So here, proving a tax evasion case, though, is a difficult proposition. It requires that the prosecutor can prove intent that they have to make people believe that you purposely tried to avoid paying the tax and didn't do it accidentally. When you hire an accountant to prepare your taxes, it becomes easier to prove intent if the accountant will step up and offer that testimony to the prosecutor. In my case, the SDNY would need information from my accountant, Jeffrey Getzel, in front of a grand jury. If Getzel steps in and says any omission was simply an oversight, then chances are there would be no charges filed against me. It would be a civil matter. An IRS agent would be assigned to the case, and we would have to meet to negotiate a settlement. The fact that I was charged with income tax evasion, however, tells us that the government, in its current atmosphere of not prosecuting anything they don't have a slam dunk win on, had spoken to my accountant. And that's the reason I sued Jeffrey Getzel, right? The point I was trying to make, there are multiple elements to tax evasion. Let me just sort of run through a couple. First of all, you need an overseas bank account, an overseas business. You need to have an overseas nominee. I've never had an overseas business. I've never had an overseas bank account. And I've never had an overseas nominee. Then you have like what Paul Manafort did, these fake invoices running back and forth between fake companies. I never, they took my 10 million documents not a single document relating to an invoice or an illegal or fake wire transfer. On top of that, there's not a single year in my life that I didn't file and pay taxes timely. I've never asked for an extension. I've never been audited. In fact, during the years that they claimed I didn't pay 1.39 million, and they were right, it was an error, it was a tax omission, that money was sitting with every other dollar that I earned in Capital One Bank that was located at the base of the building that I lived in. On top of that, I am obsessive compulsive. I have OCD. I acknowledge it. My tax books are put into three ring notebooks that are tabulated by account and in descending order. Every single payment that was made to me, every income was deposited into this Capital One account and it clearly states on the document, the bank statements, everyone given to Getzel states deposit. His sole job for the $40,000 that I paid him, give or take, right, to be my CPA, his sole job was to reconcile my bank accounts. Okay, there's a mistake. I get it. I've never received a letter from the IRS. I was never notified ever. In fact, I put into the book, there's a woman by the name of Andrea Griswold. And she's with the tax fraud unit or the 
the Monetary Crime Unit over at the Southern District of New York. She threatens my newer, my new accountant that if they try to file amended tax returns, that she would shred those returns because she doesn't believe that the way Getzel did the um, what the depreciation on the medallion corporations and business that I had, that she would shred it and that the financial penalty and possibly criminal penalty would be far more severe than what the, was going to happen to me. Is I mean, she still she's, there? She's still there. I mean, and so is Tom McKay. Was she looking into the Trump tax evasion or? I don't know. Maybe you should call her up and ask her, you <laughs> maybe know? I will. Maybe I will. One final question before I let you go, because I, I don't know. I feel like, so you're saying, and, and this goes all the way back to the beginning of the interview. So we're going to wrap, we're just going to put a little dipsy doodle on this whole thing and wrap it up all nice, nice. Uh, Weisselberg, back to Weisselberg. You don't think he was kind of born to go to jails? Aren't like, like consigliaries like that? That's their job is to go to prison and be the fall guy. You don't think that's him? No, that's not him at all. Now, he because I believe Tom Barrick won't go to prison for Trump. But I, I, I kind of felt like Weisselberg might. No, no chance. But remember, Weisselberg is also in a very precarious situation because he's protecting his two sons. His his um, one son, Jack, is with Ladder Capital, one of only two lenders <laughs> to the Trump organization. And I assure you, that the documents that were provided to him or the documents that he then provided to lenders as part of their ladder capital are probably all duplicitous at best. Well, he went to ladder after the other banks laughed him out of the, you know, they were like, we can't lend to you anymore. You're not worth this, you know. So that's why that's when he went to ladder capital. Well, correct. And then you also have Barron, who worked for the company, whose ex-wife, Jen, provided some damning testimony about all of the cash that was taken from the various different enterprises that he was running. That's the ice rink guy, right? Well, yes, it's more than just the ice rink. You had Walman Rink, you have Laska Rink, which is the opposite side by 120th Street in Central Park North. That's also run by the that was run by Trump. You also had the carousel and you had various other operations going on inside. According to statements that have been put out there, Let's just say not all of the cash ended up where it belonged. Oh, I, so, I when I heard about the the at the ice rink thing, I'm like, that's just a that's Walter White's car wash. That's just a huge. That's got to be a money laundering situation, just back to front, right? Yeah, and you know those those are the testimony of others that he would bring you know cash to his father, and then of course it would end up you know in Donald's hands. But again, these are all things. But there's so much that this book covers. And I don't want people to think that it's solely about me. I really want to reiterate what I said before. If this could happen to me, I just want people to think, what if hypothetically it's you or someone that you personally know? This could never happen again. You know, you start to see, you know, survivors of terrible things like the shootings and so on. And you start to see these individuals become activists. And the reason is because now they have a platform to do so. But more importantly, it's because they never want to see anyone else go through the pain and suffering that they are currently going through. And it's almost somehow cathartic to be able to be on this, this voyage, this journey to 
help to right a wrong. And that's really what revenge does. It uses my case, my voice to show you just how damaged that we are, how fragile our democracy is, and that if, in fact, we don't get a hold of it and we allow people like Donald to get a hold of it or Ron DeSantis or some of these others, Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Josh Hawley's, the democracy that we knew, the democracy that we know today will not be the democracy that our children, grandchildren, God willing, great grandchildren know in the future. Yeah, that's why this book is so important. That's why I, why I wanted to work at the VA. And then Donald took that away from me. So here we are. And we need to knock these fascists off of the podcast charts. So everybody subscribe to Mea Culpa, subscribe to Daily Beans. That's how we knock the folks like Bongino and whoever the hell off of these charts is just by getting followers on our podcasts on Apple Podcasts. And telling the truth. And uh, telling well, the yes, truth. Yes, and, and having truthful content also helps. <laughs> yes. It's, <laughs> it's also all helps. no more no more Fox innuendo, OAN, Newsmax, Truth Social. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is the problem. So yes, um, I implore people to listen to both podcasts and stay informed and make sure the single most important thing that you can do is vote in November. Yep. Single most important thing for right now. Yeah, you vote every election and bring five people with you. So revenge, Amen. revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics drops, I believe, October 11th. You can pre-order it now. I recommend everybody do get your hands on this book. There's going to be a lot of details and information in it, stuff that we didn't even think to ask or, or you know, that we just had no idea about. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me today. Michael Cohen, it's been awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody, that is the show. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back tomorrow with Dana on the beans for all of the Monday news. I know it's going to be a lot. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>